Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. This is what the Word says. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his present secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephphatha, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present, and having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, Seven. He said to them, Do you still not understand? I'm going to say this word. This is sort of the, this phrase. It's the theme of the sermon today. We must always remember how we got here. God has been working in this world for a very long time. And the people of Israel, the Jewish people, have been at the heart of God's work in the world. This entire section of Mark is trying to answer one question. How do non-Jewish people become the people of God? 
And in this passage that we've read together, there are three uh, significant moments that help us to address that question and help us to better understand what I'm trying to say when I say we must always remember how we got here. The first is this. Faith requires humility. Faith requires humility. Now let me set the stage. Jesus has left Israel. He is no longer in Jewish territory anymore. Just a little bit up above the borders of Israel. He was trying to keep his presence in that region secret. That's where the first story takes place. Then Jesus goes from that region and he follows a trail down outside of Jewish territory and he comes to a region called the Decapolis, which is another Gentile area. So this entire section of Jesus is about ministry he does outside of Israel in Gentile territory. It's important that we recognize that. And so he runs into this woman who is not Jewish, so she's a Gentile. And her daughter has a demon. Now, we've been reading the story so far in Mark, for those who have been with us, and Jesus has healed demons before. He's cast them out. So it's not unusual, we wouldn't think, for him to get that kind of request. But the difference here is that this is Gentile territory, and this is a non-Jewish person. Jesus says, First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. That is not nice. That is not nice. Matter of fact, it's even worse given the context. Because Jewish people in Jesus' day did not keep dogs as pets. That's just not a Jewish practice in the first century. Dogs for Jewish people were sort of scavengers that lived out on the streets eating garbage and trying to scavenge wherever they could. So they were more seen as pests for the Jewish people. So when Jesus, a Jewish person, says to this Gentile lady, it's not good to give the children's bread to the dogs. How do you think she heard that? But there must have been something in his tone or something in the way he said it that invited a response. Some think that Jesus initiated a riddle competition with this woman to just to tease out what she would say in response to this. And she twists the terms because she's a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, and Gentiles did keep dogs as pets. And she says, surely I wouldn't ask you to give the bread of the children to me. But certainly, dogs are fed from the scraps that fall from the children's table. That'll be enough. And Jesus says to her, because of your word, literally in the Greek, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. Why does Mark include that story? Oftentimes, you and I, when we teach the Bible to our children, when we read the Bible ourselves, we're tempted to make ourselves the hero of the story. This Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus and doesn't demand that. She doesn't demand to be the hero of the story. She doesn't object when Jesus implies that there are more important people than her right now. She says, if you say I'm a dog, can I have a crumb? Why does Mark include this? He's writing a letter reminding us of everything Jesus taught to a primarily Gentile church, non-Jewish church in Rome. And he wants them to know that they came to God by the crumbs that fell from the table of Israel. The second story 
tells us that not only does faith require humility, we have to remember how we got here, but faith also requires healing, and more so for us Gentiles than for the Jewish people. Jesus, in Gentile territory, finds a man who is deaf and who can speak, but not clearly. And he heals him. This is people who were not raised and enculturated in Judaism. We are deaf to the Word of God. And though we can speak some truths, they're slurred, and they don't make any sense. They're hard to understand. And so Jesus finds this man, and he opens his ears, and he fixes his tongue. Again, this is what we as Gentiles need. Now, I'm also interested in this engagement. Do you see the way Jesus heals him? Is this bizarre to you? Why is he so hands-on with this? And this is the only miracle that Jesus utters this Aramaic phrase, and the man is healed. Well, it's very important to know he's in Gentile territory, and for Gentiles, these kinds of things are important, though there are distinctions. Usually, Gentiles would utter some unintelligible phrase as a magical utterance that was supposed to heal people. Jesus, Mark wants us to know, he did. He said something, but it, it meant something. It wasn't gibberish. It wasn't a magical phrase. It was an Aramaic phrase that means be opened. So Jesus, but he, he participates in the healing the way a Gentile would need to see him do it. But there's also something else. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 2, when, when God formed humanity, it says that he shaped him out of the dirt and he breathed into him the breath of life. In very many ways, that's what we see Jesus doing. He's, he's in many ways recreating this guy's sense of hearing. And he's re-breathing into his mouth that he can speak. Not only does this set of stories begin showing us how Gentiles come to faith in Jesus, but then the next healing story tells us what has to happen for non-Jewish nations in order for us to even hear Jesus' word, in order for us to even speak truth. We have to be recreated, healed, by the Son of Man, by Jesus. Faith requires the humility to recognize how we got here. And faith requires healing in order for us to get where God wants us to go. And finally, faith will restore the humble. It will lift the dogs to the table. This is the feeding of the 4,000. We're now in Mark chapter 8. Some of you were here when we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. Do you remember some of the details that stood out? First, Jesus was in the wilderness. The people were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus was feeding them with manna from heaven. In every way possible, he's the new Moses in that scene. He takes five loaves of bread, just like there were five books of Moses. And he uses them to feed 5,000 people. And they had 12 basketfuls, one for every tribe of Israel left over afterwards. We talked about that, right? Well, now there's another feeding. The details have changed. Jesus is not in Israel now. He's in Gentile territory. He's with the non-Jewish people. And how many loaves did they have at this occasion? Seven. And how many laws in Jewish tradition are Gentiles required to follow? Seven. Five books of Moses, five loaves the first time. Seven laws of Noah, as they're called in Jewish tradition, and seven loaves this time. 
These are the seven laws of Noah. They're drawn out of the stories of the book of Genesis. The Jewish people recognize that there are 613 commands in the first five books of the Bible that they have to follow as Jewish people. But they have not said that Gentiles are off the hook. They have to follow seven. And these are the seven. Do not deny God. Do not blaspheme God. Do not murder. Do not engage in incestuous, adulterous, or homosexual relationships. Do not steal. Do not eat of a live animal and establish courts and a legal system to ensure obedience to these laws. Those are the seven laws of Noah, according to Jewish tradition, in Jesus' day. And Jesus is in Gentile territory, just as he fed the Jews five books of Moses, he feeds the Gentiles with seven loaves, seven laws of Noah. And then they have seven baskets left over. Another significant number for the people of Israel because there's one Israelite nation, the chosen nation of God. And in the book of Genesis, does anybody remember how many Gentile nations there are? Seventy. Seventy. After the first miracle, there were enough baskets for the twelve tribes of Israel. After this miracle, there are enough baskets for all the nations. Do you get the whole trajectory of this line of thinking? It starts with that Syrophoenician woman saying, I don't need to be a child, just a dog at the table. If I could just have a crumb, it'll be enough. That's how it starts, right? Faith requires humility. And then it moves to this man that in order to receive the word of Jesus, Gentiles have to have their ears unblocked and their slurred speech has to be corrected. And then we move to the feeding of the 4,000 where the crumbs are enough to feed every Gentile nation. So that's what Mark is saying. Because we must remember how we got here. And what we are forgetting as a primarily non-Jewish church is that we are dogs beneath the table of Israel. Eating the crumbs, and the crumbs are enough. But that's where we start. That's how we got here. Now, will God raise us up? Of course He will. We're told by Jesus that the last will be first and the first will be last. Paul says that those who were called no nation have become the children of God. That's in Romans chapter 10. So, yes, He will. But we must remember where we were. Now, what if we forget that? What if we forgot the Syrophoenician woman or the healing of the Gentile man who was deaf and mute or the feeding of the 4,000 and the seven loaves and seven baskets? What if we were to forget all that? What if we were to forget Paul's words in Romans chapter 11 that ties all this together? I'm going to read them. This is what Paul wrote. I'm talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry and the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people, the people of Israel, to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, Jewish folks, and you, though a wild olive shoot, Gentiles, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not con consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You'll say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but, be, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. 
Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, Gentiles, provided that you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in their unbelief, the Jewish people, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that's wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not become conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it's written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they're enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they're loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and His call are irrevocable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient, you Gentiles, to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient, in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience, so that He may have mercy on them all. What happens if we forget this? Well, let me get practical for you. This is my best attempt at showing you the relevancy of this. The worst thing is that things like the Holocaust continue to happen. But the second thing is this. We might stop reading our Bibles. Because it's a Jewish book. That book was written over 1,500 years by Jewish people. The prophets who wrote the First Testament and the apostles who wrote the New were Jewish. If we forget that as Gentiles we sit at the, under the table of the Jewish people, we might stop reading our Bibles. We must read their book because they are chosen. We are only chosen if we're grafted into them. So what might happen? We might stop reading our Bibles. We might think that we are as inspired by the Holy Spirit, you and I today, and all the things we think and feel and impressions as they were then. That might happen. We might begin to think that God can reveal Himself through any culture on earth. That every culture has a little bit of the truth. That if we just study all these other religions and all these other nations and we piece together the good things from all of them, we'll get a better picture of who God is than simply going to the people of Israel. They call that pluralism today and that might happen if we forget how we got here. We might even begin to think that we can approach God without the prophets and apostles of Israel, without the Bible, believing that we have replaced them or superseded them or somehow that we are the church and they're nothing anymore. We might think that we have overtaken them in terms of our knowledge or our insight or our morality or whatever else. Has any of that happened? Have we forgotten how we got here? Faith requires the humility to confess that as Gentiles we are saved by the crumbs that fall from Israel's table, that God chose them to feed us. Faith requires the healing of Gentile ears because we cannot hear the voice of God. And we cannot speak the truth of God without a radical healing that comes from Jesus. And such faith, faith knows, and this is the feeding of the 4,000, 
that the crumbs that fall will be sufficient to heal the nations. That admitting the fact that we sit beneath the table of Israel where we begin is not to say that God doesn't love us. It's not to say that God doesn't have sufficient amount to feed us. There will be enough. But we must know how we got here. I've been fighting for three years with us as a church to recapture our Jewish roots so we don't lose the Word of God. You and I were not chosen the way they were. We were chosen through them, and we owe them that. May we never forget 